Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Trashy Divorces, everybody's favorite good podcast about bad relationships. My name is Alicia. And my trashy partner in crime, Stacy. Hello. Holy cats, this week you're taking us back again to the magical time of Aaron Spelling's dominance on American television. That is correct. Today we're going to talk about kind of a tragic figure, unfortunately. The actor Hervé Villachez, who played the character Tattoo alongside Ricardo Montalban on TV's Fantasy Island. If you are of a certain age, you know it well. Oh, the plane, the plane. Absolutely. On the one hand, it's the improbable success story of a person whose uniquely short stature made him stand out as an actor, but also made him something of a punchline. And on the other hand, it's a very sad story about a person whose lofty but ultimately foiled ambitions, outrageous appetites, and increasingly medically fraught life led to a tragic end. And for those sensitive to such topics, Hervé Villachez did die by suicide, and we'll let you know when we're getting to that section of the story. Has anyone ever, though, been more excited about seeing an airplane than Tattoo? Definitely an aviation enthusiast. Uh, Hey, Alicia, if we're going to get to Fantasy Island, what do we have to do? Let's go, go, go. Stacey, I know very, very little about Hervé personally, so I'm kind of excited about this story. I also knew very, very little about him. Um, However, most of us who have fond memories, although mine are a bit fleeting, I definitely remember the plane, the plane. Oh, it was can't miss television. It it was, yes, many, many years ago. Um, So most of us who have fond memories of watching Fantasy Island remember Hervé Villachez as the lovable tattoo who would alert Mr. Rourke, played by Ricardo Montalban, that The new guests were arriving on the island with the famous phrase. He'd climb up to the bell tower, ring the bell, the plane, the plane. Many didn't give a lot of thought to what his real life was like before or after the popular TV show. Hervé was actually a very complex man with a really complicated and frequently troubled life. He entertained so many people who looked forward to watching him week after week on Fantasy Island, but the reality of his life was far more complex than his television persona would suggest. There were tremendous highs and lows to his life story that few ever knew. Along the way, he had two divorces, plenty of extracurricular fun as well, but there is also much, much more to know about Hervé Villachez. Let's do this. Get ready. Hervé Jean-Pierre Recioni was born in Nazi-occupied Paris on wow. April, yeah, April 23rd, 1943. His mother was British-born Evelyn Recioni. His older brother Patrick was already born, but the two boys never knew who their father was. Soon after Hervé's birth, his mother married a French surgeon named André Villachez, and he adopted the two boys. And they would go on to have two more sons and move to Toulon in France. It wasn't until Hervé was about three that his parents noticed that he wasn't growing 
the way that they would expect. So they took him to a doctor. Understanding that we are not medical doctors, not endocrinologists, we're going to do the best that we can and as sensitively as we can. Hervé was diagnosed with a condition called proportionate dwarfism. I believe today perhaps the term is proportionate short stature syndrome. But this condition is typically caused by a medical condition at birth, which hinders growth. This can be an endocrine deficiency. This can be severely low amounts of human growth hormone. Uh, in the majority of cases, I believe it's a genetic condition. In Hervé's case, it was caused by an acute thyroid disorder. Proportionate dwarfism, or proportionate short stature syndrome, is when the person's limbs and trunk are proportionately small. There is also a disproportionate form, and in that person, uh, the person has particularly short arms and legs, but their torso develops as, as one would expect. So once he was diagnosed, again, this was 1946, not a lot of options here, but Hervé's parents did what they could. They took him to a bunch of different clinics. He was examined at medical institutes in France, Germany, and England. They even came to the United States to have him seen at the Mayo Clinic. But you know, 40s, none of them were able to help. And by his early teens, Hervé had accepted what was going on and he did not want any further poking and prodding. Well, if you're a kid and all you've done is see doctors. Exactly. He's, uh, the, listen to this quote. Oh no. I was injected with bone marrow from sheep mm. in Germany. Mm -mm. I was studied at the Mayo Clinic in America. Then one day when I was 13, I said, that's it. I don't want anything done to me ever again. You'll be surprised to learn that he did not fit in great at school. There was intense bullying. But this did push him to develop his interest and, it turns out, big natural talent in painting. He became a very accomplished painter, and at the age of 16, he enrolled in the École des Beaux-Arts. That's a big deal. And my words, I'm sure, are perfect there. This was 1959. In 1961, he became the youngest artist ever to have his work exhibited at the Museum of Paris. That is enormous. It is, yes. By now, Hervé had reached his full height of 3 feet and 11 inches. The most painful part of his condition, though, was that many of his internal organs had grown to the dimensions of a taller person, particularly his lungs, inside of that very compressed torso. This put his body under a great deal of pressure, and it often made it difficult for him to breathe. So his organs did not adjust to his size. Right. It, it that is, is a, a lot of health complications. Yeah, it's a just complex. Like, you would think in a completely fair world, if you have to, you know, be living with this, at least your organs would also be adjust. proportionately sized. But no, we don't live in a fair world, so. Oh, Erevé. Interestingly, and I think this was very controversial and caused some conflict with other actors of short stature, while Hervé's condition was dwarfism, he preferred to be called midget and asked to be referred to that way instead. This was not a popular choice among other short-statured people. Passionate about art and believing that he could not go further by remaining in France, he decided it was time for a fresh start. When he was 21 years old mid-1960s, he moved to New York City. At the time, he said that the move was to be in a place that offered diversity and acceptance while giving him a vibrant art scene to play in. In interviews that he gave later in life, he said the move to New York City was his dad's idea. He claims that his father said, 
Go to New York. It's where all the freaks go. Oh, no. I mean, he's not wrong, but it's a little It's a little harsh, Dad. (laughs) Now, of course, no one can afford that. So anyway, when Hervé got to the affordable New York City in 1964, he enrolled at the Art Students League. He also became popular in Greenwich Village's avant-garde artist scene. He continued painting. He took up photography. He said that he taught himself English by watching American television and just by interacting with the people around him. I'm sure it wasn't that difficult to bump into other native French speakers in New York City in the 60s or now. He modeled for National Lampoon magazine, and soon he was landing parts in off-Broadway productions. He landed a few roles in small films between 1966 and 1970. He had two brief parts on Broadway. He was in Gloria and Esperanza in 1970 and Elizabeth I in 1972. Hervé had also met a fellow artist, a little lady named Anne Sadowski. They dated for a while and then married in 1970. By 1974, Hervé had moved to Los Angeles after getting more film roles. But these were tiny roles and he was having trouble supporting himself. Things got so bad for him at one point that he was living in his car. He was unable to afford rent on any non-car housing. And he worked odd jobs to try to make ends meet. I think the most colorful of these was that he worked as an assistant to a rat catcher. To a rat catcher? Yes. Yes, we had rat catchers as recently as the 1970s in Los Angeles. Things were soon looking up for him, though, because in 1974, he was cast as the assistant slash henchman Slash Butler, knick-knack in the James Bond film, The Man with the Golden Gun. I remember this. Knick-knack worked for the main villain, assassin Francisco Scaramanga, played by Christopher Lee. I probably mispronounced Scaramanga. Anyway, this is a great spot for a break because we're going to come back and get onto some unseemly stories from the sets where Hervé worked. Oh my. See you on the flip. Hey, Trash Pandas, when you need a brain break from your day, let me recommend the game June's Journey for Android and iPhone. It's a hidden object mystery game where you are solving a murder, uncovering family secrets, and, I don't know, exposing official corruption? All in an extremely stylish 1920s setting. Every scene takes you deeper into the mystery and introduces you to an expansive cast of characters as June Parker explores the questions surrounding her sister's apparent murder-suicide at the family's beachfront estate. Add your own elements to the island, from lush gardens to gorgeous new buildings. This story has so many twists and turns. Right now, we are on a global journey attempting to rescue June's niece, Virginia. It's a great combo of gameplay. It's a memory puzzle, a design project an intriguing storyline with genuinely fabulous art. When you want to let your mind wander, relax into this glorious 1920s murder mystery and get lost in the fun. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hervé, knickknack. I'm remembering that Man with the Golden Gun is previous TD alum Roger Moore. 
Yes, that is, I believe, correct. So Hervé, of course, was married to Anne during this time, but this did not stop him from engaging in and bragging about plenty of sexual conquests. You mean live in large? Yes. It is unclear if women were attracted to him because his appearance was unique or because, as he explained, women liked to baby him. Huh. (laughs) Whatever the case may be, he claimed to have had sex with at least 35 women during the filming of The (gasps) Man with the Golden Gun. Just, Just that time period, 35. Holy cats. You you have questions about that bragging, right? Like, really? 35? But fellow actor Roger Moore, James Bond himself, confirmed that that was probably likely. Hervé's behavior toward women and particularly toward sex workers caused Roger Moore to call him, quote, a diseased sex maniac with unnatural lusts. Roger was careful to point out that his use of the word diseased had nothing to do with Hervé's dwarfism, but with what he believed were extreme sexual behaviors and urges, perhaps reckless conduct. I mean, 35 sex partners in... A few months. Yeah. That's a lot. Too much. It's too much. I mean, not that we're one to make judgments here. So Roger Moore said that Hervé used to brag about the staggering number of women he had sex with while they were filming the Bond movie, saying, quote, When we were in Hong Kong, he would find girls in girly clubs and point to the ones he wanted with a flashlight, saying, You, you, not you, you. When Hervé told him he had slept with over 35 women while filming, Roger pointed out that it didn't count if he paid for them. Yikes. Roger claims Hervé responded by telling him, Sometimes when I pay, they refuse. Oh, this is seedy. Roger also said that he used to shamelessly come on to Bond girl Maude Adams. Quote, this is lovely. Quote, he told her, I'm going to come to your room, take your clothes off, and I'm going to fuck you. She replied, if you do, and I ever find out, I'll be very cross. (laughs) In 1977, Hervé met producer Aaron Spelling by chance. And it led to the role that he would be best known for, Tattoo, on Fantasy Island. The phrase, the plane, the plane, has been part of the popular culture now for 45 years. Anyone alive during the 70s and 80s in America will immediately get the reference. And it was Hervé that brought that famous phrase into American homes every week when he used it to alert Mr. Rourke that the new group of guests to the island were arriving. As Mr. Rourke's sidekick, Tattoo was an integral part of Fantasy Island and quickly made Hervé one of the most recognizable actors of the era. Like so many television shows that became a cultural phenomenon, Fantasy Island almost didn't happen. First of all, Aaron Spelling originally pitched the idea as a joke in response to frustration after an ABC executive turned down all of his his real good developed ideas. Well, talk about a hit maker. Right. Well, he said that he finally said, what do you want? An island that people can go to and all of their sexual fantasies will be realized? Yes. It's the 1970s. That's exactly what we want. That was precisely (laughs) what ABC wanted. They loved the idea. Can you imagine Aaron Spelling going home that night, Candy? I've really landed in it this time. (laughs) Uh, Come here, little Tori. Let me tell you a story about the studios. 
Okay, get this. Originally, this ABC wanted Orson Welles to play Mr. Rourke. Really? Yes, but spelling was like, that guy is not easy to work with. Like, I, we're not going to put up with that week after week. So uh, he also rejected the idea that the sidekick who would become Tattoo would would be some sort of sexy woman. So Orson Welles and a sexy woman running Fantasy Island. Different show. Different show. Different show. Like its sister show, The Love Boat. <laughs> Aaron Spelling, man, just one after the other. Fantasy Island was known for its celebrity guests each week. There were a bunch of notable old Hollywood celebrities. Sammy Davis Jr., Roy Bolger, Lucy Arnaz, Ava Gabor, Debbie Reynolds, Roddy McDowell, Mamie Van Doren, and Jane Powell all made appearance. It also featured many stars of the day, too, like Dorothy Hamill, Maureen McCormick, David Cassidy had a little... Florence Henderson, Joe Namath, Lonnie Anderson, Jimmy Walker, Susan Lucci, and, of course, Charo. What wasn't Charo on, really? What wasn't she Charo really on? really got around in the 70s. Everywhere. Fantasy Island made Hervé wealthy and famous. And because of his size, he was viewed as something of a novelty by the media and audiences. In 1979, he and Anne finally divorced, but... I guess they remained friends, although he had cheated on her relentlessly all through the marriage. So friend may be more aspirational than reality. Okay. Okay. Hervé's condition was, of course, a double-edged sword. His appearance was so unique that it served him well because he stood out from a pack of other actors and was quite memorable But it also caused him to be mocked and looked at almost as a sideshow figure in the press. What was very forward-thinking on the part of the producers of Fantasy Island was that they were using a little person playing a real, fully developed character. They did not dress him up in costumes, and his size was never a storyline for him. It was just a fact. Instead, he wore a white tuxedo, just like Mr. Rourke. It was it's just the show. It was just yeah. the show. When Hervé married for the second time in 1980, things were very different for him than the first time down the aisle. Hervé had met second wife Camille Hagen on the set of Fantasy Island, I believe the pilot, which means he was very married. Oh, at the time. At the time. Yeah. Camille was working as a stand-in double for the show. They dated for a few years, again, during his marriage. And then... <laughs> No, no bigs. No bigs. And then they married on September 5th, 1980. She was 22. How old was he? 37. Okay. Yeah. Wow. It was reported that Hervé was making $25,000 per episode of Fantasy Island. This would be about 80 grand per episode today. Hervé spent a great deal of money on extravagances and buying a ranch in the San Fernando Valley. But not everything was going well, in fact. The media curiosity and the scrutiny had become quite extreme, and during his marriage to Camille, the intrusion into their life was difficult for both of them. Hervé even hired a bodyguard due to the amount of media interest in his life. There was, of course, a significant amount of attention and interest in their sex life because of his size. How deeply uncomfortable, because here is People magazine. Oh, no. In 1980, he told People, if a girl goes out with me, she's treated as a tramp. There was also a lot of unkind commentary on how a conventionally attractive woman could be married to him. 
Camille once told an interviewer, I resent being made fun of. I don't mind people wanting to know about our marriage. I mind what they make of it. That's a fair point. It's a fair point. However, Hervé cannot claim to be an innocent bystander in the media interest in his sex life. He wasn't particularly discreet about his sexual interests or claims of prowess. His salacious behavior was not isolated to the time of filming The Man with the Golden Gun. He had plenty of complaints from women whom he propositioned on the set of Fantasy Island as well. When some members of the media were on the set of Fantasy Island, they noticed that on Hervé's dressing room door, he had placed a handwritten sign that read, Sex Instructor, First Lesson Free. Oh, no. I know. That's just crass. Are we in high school here? Anyway, in December of 1981, Camille filed for divorce. This was after 15 months. With Hervé being a big television star at the time, the divorce was widely reported on. She, of course, cited our favorite... Irreconcilable differences. Absolutely. Hervé, meanwhile, blamed media scrutiny for the breakdown of the marriage, but there seemed to be much more behind the split. Wouldn't be the 16-year age difference, probably. Probably not. When people interviewed the couple prior to her filing for divorce, they admitted to having a, quote, conflict of interest. I don't think that term was used quite correctly, but anyway, regarding him claiming that she did not have to agree to everything he asked of her. While neither expressly said what it was he was asking for that he didn't feel like she had to agree to, he revealed that they were, quote, fighting like cats and dogs because of whatever this mystery issue was. Oh, I'm so curious. Conflict of interest. Conflict of interest. I just want to boss you around and you have to do everything I ask you to do. I don't think that it works that way. Well, he's saying she does not have to do everything he asks of her. And yet, it was causing a lot of conflict that there was something she was not doing that he was asking of her. Yeah, that's all shady. Hmm. More disturbingly, Camille accused Hervé of firing a pistol Mm -mm. at her into the fireplace of their San Fernando Valley ranch. I think he buried the lead on that one. That would do it. Guns will figure much more prominently going forward. Hervé liked them. This seems like kind of an outrageous claim, firing guns inside the house. It would not be long before people on the set of Fantasy Island would also complain about Hervé and guns. No. Although the marriage was short-lived, Camille was asking for their 1977 Cadillac, a bunch of antiques, a bunch of furniture, and half of the community property, including his ranch. She also asked for spousal support, and claimed that Hervé was making more than $100,000 per month. She listed her own living expenses as $6,000 per month, or in today's money, about $21,000. Okay. I know, living large. In a 2020 Daily Beast article titled, Confronting Fantasy Island's Thorniest Legacy, Hervé Velichez, Sex and Disabled Representation, writer Kristen Lopez argues that much of the interest in his sex life was due to his disability and may not have gotten the criticism that it did otherwise. I think this is true because Arnold Schwarzenegger, who we covered long ago, behaved basically exactly this way on set. I mean, he was disgusting to women on set, women in public, women that he encountered in the... Like, it, he was disgusting and it was all kept swept under the rug for, for decades, really. Back to the Daily Beast piece... Lopez points out that much of the behavior that he exhibited on the Fantasy Island set would be considered harassment today, but that much of the criticism centered on him 
having a sexual appetite at all. She writes, sexuality and disability are still taboo topics on and off screen, and Villachez shows that several things can be true at the same time. That one can be disabled and be a bad person, but that one can also be disabled and criticized for engaging in things able-bodied people do regularly. That's exactly right. Exactly right. Hervé's behavior on the set of Fantasy Island was growing offensive and erratic to pretty much everyone. Producer Mark Evanier remembered how Hervé's fame had made him feel entitled to act inappropriately with fellow cast members. Quote, he drove them nuts on our set, grabbing and groping from unanticipated angles and demanding they zip his fly. Because of his condition, Hervé had no strength in his hands. He could barely grip anything and certainly could not, he claimed, work his own zipper. Every time he had a costume change or a toilet break, he would stride up to the most attractive woman around and insist she do the honors. Oh, that's just gross. Also, given what's happening here with his love of guns, the idea that he had no hand strength is not quite credible. Those things don't really align. Ricardo Montalban talked about working with Hervé when he was interviewed for the Archive of American Television. He said, quote, something happened to him. There was a change. He became arrogant, to tell you the truth. He would come in and never say good morning. He would carry a gun and strut around. Still, I loved him and felt for him, and I understood him so well. I really loved Hervé, but there was a change in him. The great success we had with Fantasy Island throughout the world, it affected him. Not favorably, unfortunately. Carol Lindley, a guest star on Fantasy Island, said Hervé had some problems. One day I was sitting on the set with Hervé, and I noticed he's got a gun. He was twirling the gun, and I thought he was joking, but then I asked him if it was loaded. He said, I wouldn't have it any other way. I said, aren't you worried it will go off? He said, no, I want it to go off. But you can't zip up your own zipper? Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. It's a thing. Hervé demanded at one point that he earn the same amount of money that Ricardo was earning. He threatened to quit the show if he was not paid the same and given equal billing, and he wanted more time off as well. Some of these asks are better than others. Ricardo reportedly said at the time that Hervé had, quote, become a very greedy actor and that he was trying to take producers for all that he can. Hervé responded by remarking, he's infatuated with himself and he's not a very good actor. Ricardo Montalban is proof that compared with me, Quantity is not quality. Oh, no. Mm -hmm. Producer Aaron Spelling compromised and told him that he would write Hervé off of more episodes so that he could have more time off, but he couldn't agree to the other demands. By that time, he had been showing up to work drunk, showing up to work, air quotes here, unkempt. So I guess his hygiene was perhaps... With a loaded gun, too. Like, with this a loaded is a gun. So, yeah, you don't want any coworker like that. And sexually harassing all of your staff and guest stars. So with all of these issues that he was causing and the unreliable behavior, the producers chose to just let that go. Hervé left Fantasy Island in 1983 before its final season. The show never explained the disappearance of Tattoo. It just came back without him. And in his place was the actor who would go on to be Mr. Belvedere in the 80s playing Mr. Rourke's sidekick. All right, so this is a good spot to take another break. And when we come back, we have guns, more guns, and a life of increasing pain. Back in a minute. 
Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on a whim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Alicia, everyone knew that the 1983-1984 season was going to be the final one for Fantasy Island. But missing out on even that one year of salary for Hervé turned out to be a terrible financial decision. First, if you cross Aaron's spelling at that time, you're on a list, you know? So he was never able to get a major role again. He had small parts here and there, cameos on some movies and television shows, different strokes, Taxi, Airplane 2. Later, he would also be on some commercials, including one for Dunkin' Donuts. This is available on the web. He walks up to the counter and he's pointing, the plane, the plane, no, the cinnamon, the, no, the chocolate. The oh, that's cho funny. Yes. <laughs> pretty, pretty good. But I mean, the money was nothing close to what he had been making. A producer who had worked with Hervé on a TV special said that he, quote, would grab and grope women on the set. Instead of rehearsing and learning his lines, he spent his time ordering around male employees and discomforting female ones. Yikes, this is just not good. On a personal level, Hervé was experiencing a great deal of pain and medical issues related to his, his oversized and compressed internal organs. He started using a lot of medication and alcohol to cope with the pain. Like, I saw somewhere he, he, one of his wives or girlfriends said that he would sleep on his knees because it made breathing easier. easier. I, I can't fathom. By this time, he had developed several medical ailments related to his congenital short stature. His difficulty breathing had become worse. He had developed an ulcer and he was diagnosed with a spastic colon. In 1983, Hervé was arrested for firing a gun at a friend. Police confiscated the pistol. In 1985, he was charged with possessing a handgun in public. He pled no contest to a misdemeanor charge, and he paid a fine. This was not the end of his legal troubles, though. In 1986, Hervé was arrested for creating a disturbance at a hospital in Burbank. When officers approached him, they noticed he was carrying a 38 caliber handgun in a bag, and that he was legally intoxicated. Things got worse because when police traced the gun's serial number, they determined that it had been stolen in Georgia. He claimed that he had bought the gun from a friend but refused to identify said friend. Shady stuff going on here. 
The following year, Hervé was arrested again for assaulting and threatening a man who attempted to serve him legal papers for a civil action that one of his ex-wives had filed. In 1988, he was sued by his landlord for unpaid rent. He agreed to move out in exchange for not having to pay the back rent. It's unclear how Hervé was arrested so many times on gun violations, but never was sentenced to any jail time. I mean, it was the 80s, I guess, but it seems that his arrests all somehow always were misdemeanors. And so he was always let off with like probation or a fine, but you know. So no real penalty. No real penalty. One bright spot for him was that he had found love again. He was living with his longtime girlfriend, Kathy Self, and the two seemed very happy together and would be seen out in public quite often. Even in his final years, the media attention that he got was focused on his lurid behavior. In February 1993, the weekly World News gossip column wrote a story about his relationship with Kathy Self and said that Hervé told them that he enjoyed, quote, covering his entire body with chocolate pudding before taking a shower with his girlfriend. Kathy Self would confirm this in Self magazine, ironically. I don't think I need to know that much. I like trashy, but that even that's a little much. Sure. Well, at this point, let me know. This is where we're going to get into the end of Hervé's life. Sadly, on September 4th, 1993, the world learned that Hervé Villachez had died from a self-inflicted gunshot wound early that morning. His publicist, David Brokaw, said that Villachez had left a note and a tape recording saying that he was despondent over his health problems. David Brokaw would tell the Los Angeles Times, Even back in Fantasy Island days, he never felt good. He had respiratory troubles and gastrointestinal troubles. In the past three years, his health got progressively worse. If you wake up every day and you just feel awful, you just give up. He was tired of the struggle. Hervé had a tape recorder recording his final moments. The uh, tape has never been released, like a sn- like the text I think has, but yeah, LAPD has kept that. In the evidence locker. In the evidence locker. So this tape recording of his final moments, including the gunshot, also included the following words for his girlfriend. Kathy, I can't live like this anymore. I've always been a proud man and always wanted to make you proud of me. You know, you made me feel like a giant and that's how I want you to remember me. Okay, the note that he left behind read, I love everybody. No one is to blame for this. There is like a coda here at the end, though. You know, tragic end. This is a complicated, a, sad, tragic, and trashy story altogether. Yeah, all, all rolled into one. But, okay, 2018. Hervé died in 1993. In 2018... His story was told from a new point of view in the HBO biopic, My Dinner with Hervé. It's based on a 1993 interview with a then 26-year-old British reporter named Sasha Gervasi. It was a week before Hervé's death. Gervasi flew to LA for what was supposed to be a short interview for like a little 500-word, where are they now type of assignment. Instead, it turned into something that stretched out over days and included more than 12 hours of conversation. Sasha and Hervé met at a West Hollywood restaurant. The journalist went through his prepared questions, probably half a dozen, got the few quotes that he would need for his 500-piece little where-are-they-now, 
and was starting to pack up his recorder and notebook. But instead, something very unexpected happened. In 2018, Sasha told Vanity Fair about this experience. Quote, I had seen some rapid movement out of the corner of my eye, and when I turned around, Hervé was standing there pointing a lock knife at my throat. Oh my god! He said, listen, you've written the story before you got here. You just wanted tattoo stories and man with the golden gun stories. So I've told you all the bullshit. Do you want to hear the real story of my life? I was like, I'm about to be stabbed to death by the dwarf from Fantasy Island. Although shocked by the knife, Sasha was interested enough to continue the conversation instead of fleeing for his life. He would say there was something about the look in his eye which was so intriguing and compelling and strange. When he pulled the knife, obviously it was a sort of coup de theatre about getting my attention. It was about puncturing this sort of bubble of judgment that I had walked in with. To suddenly be presented with this living and breathing human being who was just fully aware of his being stereotyped by the press as a punchline was quite something. Sasha continues, As he was telling me this story, I was thinking, my God, there's so much more to him than this punchline of De Plain, De Plain! He's a tremendously complex, contradictory, brave, crazy, hilarious, wonderful, dangerous person. He was the most original person I think I'd ever met. So I promised him that I would one day tell his story. Sasha flew back to London with his 12 hours of cassette tapes and his notes. Eight days later, he got a phone call. He remembers, It was Kathy Self, who was Hervé's real-life girlfriend. She called to say that Hervé had committed suicide just a few hours before. I spontaneously got incredibly emotional. I started listening back to the tapes, and I realized he knew he was going to do it. For some random reason, he just grabbed on to whatever journalist passed by and poured his guts out to me in literally the final week of his life. He'd entrusted me with his story, and in effect, I was his suicide note. He was just trying to get some random person to listen before he took his exit from the world. Sasha has kept that long conversation in his mind as he transitioned from journalist to screenwriter, 25 years after talking with Hervé, he made the biopic My Dinner with Hervé. Peter Dinklage from Game of Thrones agreed to portray Hervé. Oh, interesting. Sasha also insisted on filming the final scenes inside the Universal Sheraton, which is the actual hotel where they actually had their last meeting. Quote, you can imagine how surreal it was to be sitting on the steps in the actual place where the meeting with Hervé had happened. I'm looking at my two actors, one portraying a version of me and Peter Dinklage playing Hervé, exactly where it happened. Parts of the film, of course, are slightly dramatized, but Sasha stipulated that the final 20 minutes of the film, including the goodbye scene between him and Hervé, play out the way it had in real life. Recalling that final goodbye, Sasha said, He tugged at my sleeve and he pulled me down so that our faces were side by side. He looked me in the eye. He had such pain and defiance with tears in his eyes. And he said, tell them, I regret nothing. And that is the weird, circuitous, odd, complicated, slightly trashy, slightly sad story of French painter and actor and TV's tattoo, Hervé Villachez. Lots taken. You look a little wowed there, Alicia. I'm a little wowed. That was a lot in one little trashy divorce story. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I yeah. had no idea. Yeah. 
Me either. Yeah, some ego problems there for sure, and maybe the gun fixation wasn't particularly helpful to your life. Also, don't cross Aaron Spelling. Just, no, it's, just don't. Ever a smart move. Not in 1982 or 83. Don't, don't be crossing Aaron Spelling back then. Stacy, thanks for bringing us that one. You're extremely welcome. I know more than there was to know now. Thank you for that. Friends and Trash Pandas, thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. I'm going to be back this weekend with a, another trashy tale. We can't tell you how much we appreciate you spending your time with us for your kind emails for your kind reviews, for telling your friends about trashy divorces, and also for your support over at patreon.com slash trashy divorces. Absolutely. Where you can get all of our episodes early and ad-free, bonus episodes too, always something good rolling over there. Don't forget as well, if you're looking for a little fun listening on Mondays or Thursdays, we've got Done and Done and Trashy Royals as well. Yep. Look for those wherever you listen to podcasts. Friends, until we meet again this weekend, we here at Trashy Divorces Headquarters really want you to keep your hands clean. Yes, and keep your hearts trashy, perhaps coated in chocolate pudding. I just don't know. We didn't really need that. Hey, I said we're not doctors. (laughs) (laughs) Big love, everybody. Have a tremendous week. See you soon. Bye. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacy and Alicia, with a little research and writing help from the brilliant Melissa O. Our art is by Sydney V. Smith. That's Sydney V. Smith at CarbonMade.com. And our music is used with permission of Ratsy. Check her out at Ratsy's store on Instagram and definitely drop into Ratsy's store anytime you're in Oberlin, Ohio. You can contact us at trashydivorces at gmail.com or find us on the World Wide Web at trashydivorces.com. If you need more trash candy in your life, our Patreon community includes some of the very best humans around and thousands of hours of bonus content at every level of support. Join the fun at patreon.com slash trashydivorces. Interested in some Trashy Divorces swag? Check out our merch shop and Trash Panda Enthusiasm Society at bit.ly slash trashy gear. Want to advertise with us? Reach out to sales at advertisecast.com for more information. And last but not least, come play with us on social media. I keep most of our Trashy Divorces Instagram hopping. Stacy and I share it up over on Facebook, including our Trashy Divorces podcast discussion group. Come join us over there. And thanks again, everybody, for listening. Keep it trashy, y'all.